Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Well, good morning, Connect Church. Hey, let's thank our team for doing a wonderful job in leading us in worship. We are so glad you are here. Thanks for braving all the cold out there uh, to come as we gather together uh, to not only make much of Jesus, but to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ, which is our heartbeat here at Connect Church. If you're visiting, we are so honored that you would come today. Thank you for being a part. We know it can be hard going to a new church or a different church, but thank you uh, for being here. We are coming off of a pretty incredible week as a staff. Our ministerial staff kind of retreats uh, this past week and spent time together praying and planning over this new year. And then, of course, the rest of our staff would join us at times. And, uh, man, we just had a great time. I'll show you some pictures. Uh, we did some vision and planning and, and praying together. Together. And this is Kyle, uh, who's new to our staff. The last picture is my wife, Erin. Uh, this is Kyle, and uh, he has a check in his hand, a big check. And, and one of the things we did was we um, I challenged our staff to let's, let's ask God to do something so big and so God-sized that he's the only one who could cash the check. Uh, he's the only one who could make it happen. And that's what you see in their hands. They're sharing some things. Uh, there's Dominic. Uh, by the way, isn't that a beautiful view? A couple of our church members made it possible to be in that cabin. We're so grateful. And uh, there's David uh, kind of sharing what he's hoping for God to see. Zach is doing the same. Have Brandon standing up, kind of sharing uh, what he's asking God to do. Just a great time. ATV in together. Uh, we just had a really good time uh, as a staff. But I was reminded there the first night we woke up the next morning and man, just how bad the crime has gotten in Gatlinburg. Y'all know that? We woke up that morning, Aaron had told me, hey, listen, Anthony, your door is open in your truck. I said, I, I, she said, you left it open. I said, I didn't leave my door open. And there it was wide open. It hadn't rained the whole night before. And then I said, Aaron, there's no way I left my door open. It was raining. I would have shut it. And then she walked outside and she said, Dominic's door is open. I said, you're kidding me. We walked in our, our trucks. We got in there, and there's mud everywhere. Everything has been gone through. And so what I decided is we're going to get with Chief Bracken, so I believe he's up at Gallenberg now, because we have some evidence of the culprits. You can't see it too well there, but you know what that is? A bear print. Stupid bear. Hey, listen, them bears got into our trucks. And listen, I was okay with it. There was mud everywhere. Mine and Dominic's truck was the only one unlocked. He opened our doors, went inside, and absolutely just tore through everything, right? Which is okay, but then he took my hunting bag out. I have an emergency candy bar at the bottom of my hunting bag. <laughs> Stinking bear wing got and ate it and left the wrapper just to taunt me. So anyway, crime is bad in Gatlinburg. We will work to fix that, but uh, had a great time as the team today. Uh, we picked back up with our conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. It took place in Jerusalem under the cover of darkness. Jesus is teaching the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, the very source of eternal life. Hey, which is, by the way, not the family you were born in, as many of the Jewish faith held to. But the fact that you must be born again. And so it is in the text today where Jesus begins to reveal God's heart, not just for some people, but he begins to reveal God's heart for all people. He begins to show us the value 
that God sees in us. I'm reminded of the story of Michael Sparks, who found himself in a thrift store in Nashville. Up to this point in his shopping, he had just picked out a couple of candle holders, a salt and pepper shaker he wanted for the house. But then he passed by a framed copy of the Declaration of Independence. And being a lover of history, he just thought, man, you know what? It's a little yellow. It's a little worn. It's wrinkled. It's dusty. But man, there's some value in that to me. And so he put it in his cart, went to the cash register, and he, he saw enough value in it. He thought, you know, I'm going to go ahead and buy this. And so he gave the asking price, $2.58. He took it home. And for the next three days, he said, he, I just looked at it, and I saw more and more value every time I looked at it. And so he said, I hopped online, and I began to research this copy of the Declaration of Independence. And he said, after days of research, I'd come to the conclusion that I had one of only 200 copies of the original Declaration of Independence commissioned by John Quincy Adams in 1820. There were 35 intact documents that had been found, and he was number 36. Sold that thing after a year of preservation and appraisal for $477,650. Let's leave now and go to the thrift store, right? Man, an incredible story. You see, it took a lover of history to see the value in that document in the thrift store that day. But you see, church, it would take a lover of souls, Jesus, to see the value in people like you and people like me. And this love that God has for us is clearly seen in perhaps one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible. Listen to what Jesus tells Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A verse simple enough for a child to memorize yet powerful enough To save the world. I love how recognizable this verse is. Not only within the Bible. Not only within the context of the church. But even in the secular world. John 3.16 is recognizable. I remember right before COVID-19. I'm on the board of Hearts on Fire Youth Conference. And we were on tap to have our biggest speaker we've ever had. His name was Tim Tebow. He played football for a pagan team, but really came to Jesus after. Anyway, we loved Tim Tebow. And, man, he was going to speak. And, man, people were so excited. And I remember in his sermon, he mentioned the 2009 national championship game where his Florida Gators were taking on Oklahoma Sooners, right? And in that game, every picture... Every video taken of Tim Tebow was with him in eye black that had one verse in John 3.16. Now, ladies, y'all calm down a little bit. He doesn't look like this in real life, okay? This is all Hollywood. In real life, he looks just like this, just so you know. But on that day, he has a dad bod. Anyway, on that day, John 3.16, do you know that the minute Tebow got on camera at the national championship game, that according to Google, 92 million people Google John 3.16. Do 
92 million people saw and read the gospel in this one verse. Absolutely incredible. So for the next few weeks, we are going to camp out here so that we could savor together, so that we could enjoy together, so that we could dive deep into the gospel. And so for today, we are only going to work together in John 3.16 on just two words of that verse. The first two. For God. How it sounds in the Greek way it was written. Garthes. For God. You see, this phrasing establishes God as the initiator not only of life, but eternal life. And just when you and I think we have found God, we come to the realization that He has been after us long before we ever went after Him. Hey, can I share something with you today? Whether you believe in God or you don't, God is after you. He's after your heart. And he loves you. But what are the implications of God's existence? And why does the gospel begin with him? Well, let's start here. And if you're taking notes, by the way, this is a good place to start. You ready? Here's what we learn in just these two words. You ready? God is God. So you don't have to be. Hey, God is God. So you and I don't have to try to play the part. I want you to listen to this in a work entitled, God Has a Name. John Mark Comer wrote this, and I, I did some editing to this. But here's what he wrote. What you think about God determines your life. To put it another way, what you think about God will shape your destiny in life. If you think God is homophobic, racist, and mad at the world, this distorted vision of reality will shape you into a religious bigot who is, wait for it, homophobic, racist, and mad at the world. If you think God is as a left-coast, educated, LGBTQ-affirming progressive that will shape your stereotype into this wealthy bohemian with a thought, with this bumper sticker on their car that says, we will not tolerate intolerance. Because what you think about God determines your life. If you think that God is this cosmic version of a life coach there to maximize your life, that will shape you into a self-help yuppie, even if you dress it up and call it following Jesus. And he writes from the ISIS terrorist beheading an infidel to the prosperity gospel celebrity preacher getting out of a Hummer after drinks with Kanye West to the Westboro Baptist picketer outside of a military member's funeral, screaming his hatred. To the Hindu who sacrifices a goat to Shiva. To the African witch doctor who sacrifices a little boy. To the peace activist risking her neck to stop another war because she believes Jesus is teaching on loving your enemy. To the singer who wins a Grammy and stands to say thank you to God for his song about a one-night stand. All of these men and women do what they do because of what they believe about God. So clearly, what we think about God matters. Who God is is profound, has profound implications for who we are. But here's the problem. You ready, church? Here's the problem. We usually end up with a God who looks an awful lot like us. There's a human bent in all of us to make God in our own image. But you see, the implications of God's existence, God's 
preeminence, his authority, his sovereignty is simply this, that God is God and you and I are not. Kind of comforting, isn't it? In fact, we share this, we make terrible gods. You and I, man, we're just not good at playing that part. Think of the things and the people you try to control completely and how good is it going for you. We, it typically just doesn't end well. We, we can be selfish, we can be greedy, we can be petty, and yet God is not tempted by such temperaments. And so God is God. So you and I don't have to be. There's a thought that the chief sin of our culture is people trying to deny the existence of God, and I would argue against that. Yes, there are those who seek to deny the existence of God, but the chief sin of our culture is not that. The chief sin of our culture is that we are God. Is that I am the God of my own heart, my own life. The chief sin is that we want to be God. And guess what? It destroys destroys everything we touch. I love Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where the Bible simply says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I love that Moses, while inspired by the Holy Spirit, did not see the necessity of trying to prove that God was real. He merely stated as a matter of fact, as an undeniable, undeniable truth, that in the beginning, God was. Jesus takes the very same approach. In John chapter 3, verse 16, the very same approach that he led Moses to take in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. For Jesus, God in the flesh, states as a matter of fact, as a matter of undeniable truth, that God is, that God exists, and God will forever be. For God, I have read the words of many atheists whose life goal it is to prove that God does not exist. And each time I hear their impassioned pleas to reject God's existence, I think to myself that it is nothing but the love and the long-suffering, the grace and the mercy of God that allows an atheist to continue their existence while they try, even in a failed effort, to deny his. And I realize that that's the very same love and long-suffering and grace and mercy that God has for me. For God, Jesus tells Nicodemus. I read an article from the Apologetic Press that stated out seven reasons to believe that God exists through science. And I want to share with you really my top three favorite. And here's the first one. If you're taking notes, this is good. You ready? That matter demands a maker. Matter demands... A maker. You say, well, Anthony, what is matter? You know what matter is, don't you? Matter is, is the substance of mass that takes up space. You ready? I am a lot of matter, okay? This is a lot of matter up here on the stage. And by the way, you're matter too. It's the substance of life. It takes up space. There's a conclusion they're drawn to. By the way, I'm just giving you a synopsis of each of these talking points. If you want the article in full, it is incredible. It is scientifically deep, and it's also theologically strong. I'd be be happy to pass it on to you. But here's the conclusion they come to, is that every material effect must have a cause that came before it or so simultaneous to it, and a cause that is greater than it. 
The universe is a material effect. There, the universe must have a cause that came before it and was greater than it according to science. And we know that cause to be God. In short, matter demands a maker. The evidence clearly indicates that the cause of the universe is inexplicable without a supernatural being. Something has to be eternally powerful, but we know it cannot be natural or material. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul would write, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes has been clearly seen, being understood by things that were made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that men are without excuse. Hey, hear me, you ready? That God is the maker of matter and that God is the maker of my matter. God is the creator and maker of you and me. Here's the second thing they push, and that is this, that life demands a life giver. One of the most widely recognized scientific laws is the law of biogenesis. The word biogenesis. Bio means life. Genesis means beginning. In one of these laws, it's really clearly defined. It deals with the fact that at the beginning of life, they say this, that in nature... At the beginning of life, that life can only come from previous life of its own kind. And in the material universe, life arises from previously existing life of its own kind. Life cannot spontaneously generate from non-living uh, chemicals. All of a sudden, my little remote up here is not going to become a four-year-old, right? We can see that. We can observe that. He writes this, thus... A supernatural, intelligent mind must have created living organisms. And we know this, for God is our life giver. And Jesus is going to teach us not only life, but eternal life. And here's the last one that I picked out of the seven. That design demands a designer. Indeed, both honest observation and rational thought should lead every truth-seeking individual to the same conclusions that the psalmist came to over 3,000 years ago that the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows His handiwork. That again in Isaiah 6, 3, the whole earth is full of His glory. That both the heavens and the earth testify day after day, night after night to anyone and everyone who listens, Psalm 19, 24. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Isaiah 40, verse 26 says. And so here's where we kind of camp out on this design. Demands a designer. Since the universe exhibits complex, functional design, and by definition, complex, functional designs demand a designer, then the universe must have an intelligent designer. You see, arguments such as this for God, they are logically sound and observationally true. For God is the designer of both heaven and earth. I mean, I loved reading articles like these this past week. But here's the deal. While articles like these and points like these are really good, man, they make incredible cases for the existence of God. Hear me, believer. It is by faith that we know that God is real. By faith that we know that God exists. And by faith that we know that God is at work in and through us because of Jesus so we come to this conclusion by faith, and I would argue that is both logical and reasonable. You know, 
I get the chance a lot of times to, to talk to people who say, hey, listen, I don't believe that God exists. And by the way, that never makes me angry. That never lessens my faith. That never makes me combative. I mean, I love sitting down with people who don't always believe like I do. And so I'll share with them truths like this, that, that matter demands a maker, that life demands a life giver, and all these things. And we'll walk through the Bible, and, and we'll just, I'll, I'll just kind of contend for, for them and their soul and just talk with them. And, and here's one of the questions I usually end the discussion with. Okay, you say there is no God. Can you prove it? And they conversely can say, you say there is a God, now prove it. But I'll talk to them and say, you know, out of all the knowledge there is in the universe, out of all of it, of the cosmos, of the heavens, of the earth, and the seas, and the oceans, and of life, and out of all the knowledge there exists in the universe, how much of that knowledge do you know, have you mastered, have you retained? And they'll be like, I'll say, how about 10%? And then they're like, no way, 10%. Out of all the knowledge in the universe, the heavens, the cosmos, all, no, 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 listen. I, I don't, I've not retained, I've not mastered 10% of that. I, I don't know 10% of it. How about 5%? I, I don't even know if I could claim 5%. Well, hey, let's just be generous to each other. And let's say that we know 2% of all the knowledge that is out there to learn. Is there a chance that God exists in the 98% that you say you don't know? And if there's a chance that God exists there, why not try to find Him? Why not seek Him out? And you know what? If you'll meet with me again, we'll do that together. You see, God is real and God exists in Jesus here at the beginning of John 3.16 reminds us that God is not only the initiator of life and of love, but He is the one who is life everlasting for God. You see, God Himself is the beginning of the gospel. So can I remind you today, before we begin to walk into all that God has done for us in the weeks to come, can I just simply remind you really quick who God is? First, He is our Creator. He is our Heavenly Father. He is the object of our faith. He is ever faithful. He is forever. He has always been and He will forever be. He is fearless. He is my friend. And He is for me in Christ according to Romans 8.31. Hey, can I just share some verses to talk about Him? Just love on Him for a minute. Watch this in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God as Hannah would pray out at the news of her son. Isaiah 30, 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, He will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. And Nahum chapter 1 verse 7, the Lord, listen, he is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. And Lamentations chapter 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Watch this in Exodus 34. The Lord, yes, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, time and time again, in our Bible reading plan as a church, as you read the Old Testament, you're going to find time and time again this phrasing that I wholeheartedly believe. 
And so in this moment, I cry out with the likes of Moses, with the likes of Hannah, with the likes of the psalmist who write out this among many others, that there is no one like our God. There, listen, there is no one like our God. If you don't believe in him today, then have some intellectual challenge. You ready? I, I triple dog dare you. To try to disprove him. I, I triple dog dare you to give him a, a chance. You see, the God we serve is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us this about God, that he is omniscient, meaning he is all-knowing. He is omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful. He is omnipresent, meaning he, he is not restricted by time or space. And he is omnibenevolent, meaning this, that our God is good and in his goodness he is just he is right he is true he is pure he is love he is light he is holy he has a righteous anger he is jealous for our affections he hates sin and man does he love sinners you might say well Anthony look maybe your first Sunday with us you're coming on a little strong about God I don't mean to come on so strong about him but if you could only know him like I know him, if you could only feel him like I feel him, if you could only see him at work as I've seen him at work, I don't mean to come on so strong. I just desire above all things at this moment that you know him. Give him a chance. For God. For God. There's no one like our God. And so here are three takeaways today. You ready? Number one, God is God. We don't have to be. Some of y'all really need to hear that. That God is God. You don't have to be. You know, we, we try our best to, to walk with God and to, and to live according to his word, and yet we find ourselves practically in our lives dethroning God off of our hearts and going, no, you know what? I've got this. And then things become messy and things become dirty. We want the control and we can't have the control. and Things spiral. Hey, listen, there's freedom here. That God is God, so you and I don't have to be. Here's the second takeaway. You ready? The chief end of our lives, the, why you, the reason why you have the business you have, the marriage you have, the children you have, the grandchildren you have, the reason you are at the school you are at, the reason you have is simply this, to glorify God. And the chief end of all of us, every man, woman, boy, and girl, is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. That's what John Piper would write in his work, Desiring God. Hey, hey what, what's the purpose of my life? You ready? To glorify God by, watch this, enjoying Him forever. Hey, believer, when was the last time you just enjoyed Him? You just loved on Him. Do you know that you can enjoy God? That's what Jesus is beginning to lay out for us. Here's the third takeaway. Not only is God as God, we don't have to be. That's the chief end of men is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Hey, but can I borrow from last week? 
You say, well, no, you already preached it last week. You'll get this week, right? But no, I got to go here again. You ready? And so walk with God through Jesus. Anthony, why are you repeating the same point as last week? Because you know what? A lot of us didn't. A lot of us heard it preached, felt the Spirit move, made a commitment on a Sunday to walk with God, and here we are yet again another Sunday having not walked with Him. And so I want to encourage you. Walk with God this week. Walk with Him. Spend time with Him. In Jesus. I heard the story of a Christian man who went into his barber shop. He did what he always does when he goes to the barber shop. He sits down in the chair. He needed his hair trimmed and his beard trimmed because both were getting a little too long. So he sat down in the barber chair and the barber came up and began his work. As they sat, as he sat there, him and the barber talked about the weather. They talked about sports. They talked about Politics, they, they covered everything in the world. But suddenly the conversation focused in on God. And the barber, he put a stop to it. He said to the man in the chair, listen, I don't believe God exists as you say. And, and the man in the chair said, well, tell me, why is it that you believe that God does not exist? Why do you believe that? He said, well, it's easy, the barber said. All you have to do is go out on the street. He said, when I go out on the street, I see people who are addicted and homeless on the street. If God existed, that wouldn't be the case. I see children abandoned on the streets. If God existed, there would be no more abandoned kids. He says, I see pain and suffering on the streets, and if God was real, not a loving God that I know would allow pain and suffering in the man in the chair, hearing how passionate the barber was, he backed off. He wasn't in it for the argument. He was just trying to love on God and pointing the barber to Jesus. Well, it was at the end of his haircut anyway. They shook hands and have a great day. Thank you for the haircut and the beard trim. And the man walked outside of the barbershop and onto the street. And the first thing his eyes noticed was a homeless man laying on the street with long hair and a long beard. Dirty. Matted. And then the man who sat in the chair had a thought. So he goes back up to the barbershop, he opens the door, doesn't even step inside, and says, hey, I don't believe barbers exist. And his barber looked at him and said, what are you saying? Of course barbers exist. I'm a barber, and here I am. And no, no, said the man who sat in his chair, barbers don't exist, because if they did, there would be no people like him out here on the street with long hair and a long beard. And the barber said, no, listen, but no, 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 no. Barbers do exist. What happens is, is that people have got to come in to them. And the man who sat in the chair said, exactly. That's the point. God does exist. What happens is, is people do not go to him. People do not look for him. 
Jesus begins this incredible verse with for God. And I'm here to tell you, God is real, God exists, and he's wonderful. But how do I come to God? How do I come to him? Well, no, listen. You don't come to God, he came to you. You don't have to try to work your way and find him in heaven. God clothed himself in flesh and made his dwelling among us as we studied in the Gospel of John, meaning this, you didn't have to go to God, God came to you. Why? Because even if you don't believe in God, God believes in you. And he loves you. And he desires you. And so you know what? By faith in Jesus, you can know him. By faith in Jesus, you can walk with him. Because you see, as God clothed himself in flesh and made his dwelling among us, he also went to a cross for us. Taking upon himself our sin and our shame. Dying a death that he only could die so that you and I might have eternal life. And guess what happened three days later? He defeated death, hell, and the grave by stepping up out of that grave and rising again. Listen to me. No matter what you believe of him, he's real, he loves you, he desires you, and he is after you. But anything you don't know where I've been, I don't, but he does, and he still wants you. Would you, by faith in Jesus, walk with God today? Let's pray together, can we? Hey, listen, if you're a believer, and right now in this moment, hey, let me just carve out these couple of minutes for you just to do this. You ready? To look over your heart and your life and go, uh-oh, where is it that i become God? Little G, I've become the God of this part of my life. In this area of my heart, where I've wanted to kind of control everything and make it about me. And, and you know what? It's just breaking everything I'm touching. And I need, I need to be reminded, even as a believer, that God wants to be God of all of me, not just some of me. And maybe you look at your marriage and your, maybe your parenting, maybe your business, maybe at school or on the team, and you look at it and you go, you know what? It's been all about me and for me. And in a sense, I've become kind of the God of my own life. And, and today we're reminded by Jesus in just those first two words that God is God and we don't have to be. Just say, Lord, forgive me. I'm getting off the throne. I'm out. Let me do a sub here. Jesus, I need you back on the throne of my heart and my life, not just some of it, all of it. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.